Hello, film snobs. This is Film Snobs, the podcast teaching you to become a better film snob. I am co-founder and contributor James Owen, coming to you live on tape from my undisclosed location in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, I don't have a co-host today, so I'm just going to get uh, into talking with our guest, someone I've known for a couple of years now. Uh, she is a uh, student, grad student at the University of Missouri, someone I used to work with, um, and she is going to be on here talking about a movie called Slashback, and we're going to talk a little bit about why she's on here and, and what that interest is. Sam Carter. Hey, Sam. Hi, James. Thank you for having me on today. Well, thanks for being here. I uh, You are not necessarily like a film scholar, but... You were speaking last week at the local indie theater here in Columbia, the Ragtag Cinema. Uh, it was a part of their, and people will love this. This is a very college town thing. Female dystopia series, <laughs> which is um, which is actually like they, they showed Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, previously, they're going to be showing Tank Girl, the kind of forgotten Laurie Petty movie from the 90s. Uh, you were there kind of doing, and, and there's also like, in addition to showing these movies, they have people who have a little bit of academic background that can put context to, uh, the film, to the stories, which is great because it's kind of what we're hoping to do with this podcast. And you were talking after a movie called Slash Back. Now kind of talk a little bit about why, so like kind of talk a little bit about why were you were you invited to come do this presentation? What what is your background? What are you studying? Yeah, so um, I kind of came to this presentation through a fellow PhD student of mine who knew about the work that I do in the space of indigenous natural resource rights. Um, they had a partnership with Ragtag Theater, and um, considering the film that we're going to be like talking about has um, some indigenous elements, was created by an indigenous director. Um, they thought it would be kind of appropriate for me to give a little background on the research that I do in that area. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, because in my, my full-time job, I, I run a group called Renew Missouri. You were a policy clerk for us and you even did some, some, you even did a little bit of presentations for some of our audiences about your research. I mean, kind of before we get into this movie, talk a little bit about what is it unique about, indigenous you know about indigenous studies with natural resources why is that a topic that you latched onto as something academic of your academic interest yeah so happy to talk about that um i mean i came through it to it um kind of in a like indirect way my family is eastern Cherokee, uh -huh. um and so for most of my life i kind of knew that fact but didn't really get to explore that culture um we were kind of separated from that and like complicated family relationships kind of kept me from exploring that more. Uh, when I got into my graduate work, I started studying some cases where there was um, maybe conflict over on-reservation resource rights. And so um, I found it intellectually really interesting and then also just provided this opportunity to look at this part of my identity I hadn't got to examine before. Um, so that's kind of how I came to working in the space yeah. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people don't maybe don't realize, don't think about it. But like when you're talking about tribal lands, you're talking about sovereign property, you're talking about property that's not defined by the federal government or by state governments or anything like that. So their ability to 
manage their own energy production and that sort of thing is unique. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is, um, well, a lot of misunderstanding and maybe misconceptions that tribes are somehow subsidiary to states, that they fall under state regulations. Right. A lot of people don't realize that these treaty agreements we entered into secured the sovereignty and right for self-determination for tribes. And so when they see something like the federal government or the state government trying to exploit control over these on-reservation resource rights, um, it doesn't maybe fill them with the appropriate level of concern that maybe should be going on because these rights have been secured to them for hundreds of years through treaties. Right. Yeah. And, you know, but it's also interesting too, like, uh, and, and this is, this is so not, this should probably be for Renew Gurus and not for film solved by other podcasts, but, you know, like the work that Renew Missouri is doing right now with rural electric cooperatives, there are a lot of rural electric cooperatives that serve tribal areas. I mean, especially like in my experience in, in Eastern Oklahoma, well, which has just been recently declared by the Supreme court as having some changes to how it's governed um in in a good way i think um but they still have to like deal with utility companies and things like that in some cases yeah absolutely and i think there have been some really good examples of like these partnerships being able to exist when it's happening on like a government to government relationship basis but when it starts to become like a paternalistic thing that's where we start to see these issues popping up and all this litigation that has to occur Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it is it, it is like anything else that uh, you do, you deal with in natural resources and energy policy, like endlessly fascinating. Yes. <laughs> um, but that also probably allows you an opportunity to learn more about just indigenous culture and native culture in general. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, through this experience, getting the PhD and just like working with different attorneys and scholars who have been in this sphere, I've just been able to learn so much about um, how different indigenous experiences can look and what that means in the present day. Uh, yeah, and, and to that extent, I kind of wonder, uh, you know, you get asked to, to come do this presentation before this film, Slashback is its name, and we're gonna talk about it a little bit here in a second. Had you seen it? before you got to this invitation? Uh, no, I hadn't heard of this one before and I was so happy they picked it because it's such a fun movie. Yeah, I had never heard of it either until you uh, until I saw it was playing here and then I found out you were, you know, kind of doing the presentation afterwards. Um, so yeah, kind of my, you know, kind of my uh, research on it, it, it is from it is from last year. Uh, from 2022 it premiered at south by southwest film festival last year um it, it you can get it you can rent it it's available on the shutter um uh streaming app which is a horror streaming app because this is a horror movie um do you want to kind of give a quick synopsis of the, of the movie or do you want me to do that <laughs> I, I can do that but you've seen it you've probably seen it more than i have yeah um I can give a real quick synopsis. Um, so sure. it focuses on a group of Inuit um, preteen girls who are confronted with this supernatural force and using traditional ecological knowledge and their village hunting practices, they take it on themselves and fight this um, monster 
So it's kind of like an indigenous creature feature, which is something that was totally new to me and very fun. Yeah, right. And it it is. Um, so yeah, it is filmed. It, it, I think it is filmed up by the Arctic Circle. Yeah. Um, the uh, what is the the uh, the specific group? Um, indigenous group. I mean, is it? Uh, I I just. Uh, what is it? Inuit. Yeah, the Inuit. Inuit. Yeah. So that and this. So this is in. This is in Canada. This is a Canadian production. Um, it is. I'll tell you what was interesting about it from an aesthetic look. A lot of it is outside you don't see a lot of horror movies where especially ones involving creatures where it's out in the elements uh most of the time they try to contain that to a room or a house this is like all over the place this is in this it's not just in this community it's not just in this town where these young women live uh, but it's also like in like hunting areas and, and in the snow. And, and so it, it, it takes some risk to me technically by having visual effects out in like exposed light yeah. uh, because, because usually CGI has to rely on it being dark <laughs> and a little blurry. So they can kind of like um, sort of paste over how fake it looks. They don't make any of those cheats here really. Yeah, and I thought it really boded well for the story, too. I mean, um, it really gave this sense of what their reservation land like looked like. And I mean, the cinematography was gorgeous. Um, yes. To me, this is where I started to feel like some of the John Carpenter-esque elements at play, because I think of reservations oftentimes being really geographically isolated. And I think that um, so many of the shots were outside. We weren't seeing like a ton of buildings it added to that sense of like okay they're in a really confined area they can't just run off and get help somewhere right. <laughs> right it's almost worse where you can't hide if you're like in the middle of a field or something like that as they often were confronting this or these creatures i guess it's not just one creature many creatures you talk about john carpenter yeah i mean one of the things that they allude to towards the beginning is you hear one of the characters kind of recounting the plot of the thing uh which this movie reminds you intentionally so of that movie um which the ragtag also just showed a couple months ago is because it's like it's a it just had its 40th anniversary so it's like a classic now <laughs> it's an old movie now and i remember when i when i first started coming on cable when i first saw it when i was a kid and you know it was kind of talking about it being the remake of an older movie from the 50s directed by howard hawks who john carpenter takes a lot of inspiration from in his movies um and so it is it is kind of in this more historic tradition of being somewhere isolated being somewhere cold being somewhere where you can't necessarily get help right away you're stuck with this and dealing with it yourself yeah and I, um, I will say I only saw the thing within like the past year or so, but um, it really struck a note with me, like um, using that sense of isolation and the, I don't think I'd ever seen anything quite like that um, before. And I think um, it just really worked well with this story. Um, 
coming from like a layman's perspective, I guess uh, something I like noted in the thing is the use of practical effects. And I kind of saw this in this film. I'm curious if you have a take on that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So, I mean, you know, when, I mean, one, I, I have, it's been a couple of years since I saw the thing. I did not see it when it, uh, they had the 35 millimeter print of the rag tag, which I really wanted to do. But like, I, like I've got a newborn at home and everybody in December here was sick. <laughs> we like every, I was, I was not up for going to see a late showing of the thing. Um, but yeah, um, you know, and that was kind of back then pre CGI, uh, you had to like have a lot of practical effects. I mean, John Carpenter certainly is a guy who uh, used a lot of practical effects, even, even later on in his career, just because I think he was just such an old school director. That movie still is very scary to me. <laughs> like that movie still is very effective just because he knows how to use a camera. He knows how to use a score. And, and, and we were kind of, you were kind of talking about this earlier he knows how to like create a geography of his story. Like he, he knows how to map out like even in a confined space like that, at that, at that at research station, you know, where everything is. He gives you a sense of, of space, uh, which a lot of directors in the horror genre don't do because they're too busy trying to like, Oh, you know, kind of establish like the dumb jock and the bimbo and they're going to get sliced up. And he's more interested in like kind of, showing you around where people can hide and where things can hide. He was really good about that with Halloween. I think that this slashback movie is pretty good about giving you a sense of geography too. Um, you know, as far as like the practical effects in this movie, um, yeah, I mean, certainly I know there is some reliance on CGI, but it's a low budget movie. So they got to, you know, there's, there's a, these people get, I guess, they get possessed or they get consumed by this thing. And so there is a little bit of that. And um, I don't know. I think that's a lot more effective than CGI. Don't you? It like makes it feel more real. Yeah. Um, definitely. Some of the like contortioning that the actors were doing. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, really was uh, freaky and very effective. <laughs> It is. It is because I mean, yeah, because you're right. Because there, there are moments where, well, it's 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 funny. It gets this thing or these things kind of inhibit not only people, but they also inhibit um, animals, um, and the, it kind of hides in the snow from time to time. Uh, but yeah, when they inhibit people, I mean, you know, the the thing, the whole thing about that was it was primarily people. There was also the dog too, but. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was this whole thing about like who is who is the thing? What is what what has it possessed? And um this movie doesn't make any illusions about who has been possessed. They just kind of come out of the gate and like um but it is kind of interesting. I kind of want to get your take on the 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 characters that do get possessed and what that means. But um yeah, they they do have to like do a lot of physical performing with that which is look tough. <laughs> yes. Uh, like, I really, oh, yeah, sorry. no, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, something I really liked is just seeing the progression of like this alien thing. Um, we start off seeing it like coming out of the ground in the snow. Like it starts off in the landscape and then moves to animals and then to people. Like we're seeing it progressively get more and more complex as the film goes on. And I thought that was really like a creative way to start off that like, 
um, fear. <laughs> Had to adjust to figure out how to get get to the people they needed it to get to because uh, yeah, because you and you don't often see that. You you kind of get the sense sometimes that these creatures in these movies are like fully formed and they're like. They, they kind of have like this idea in their mind or their consciousness or whatever, but really they got to figure this stuff out like everybody else. <laughs> and yeah. you're right. They do have, I, yeah, that is a good point. They kind of do like get craftier, don't they? As the, as the film goes along. Yeah, definitely more adaptive. <laughs> yeah. And I also, you know, kind of noticing that they kind of take on like these kind of, they kind of, they kind of inhibit these authoritative figures towards the end too um which is which is which there is kind of, i mean like with any other good horror film there's always like this sense of social relevance to it I, I i tend to think that horror films are are ones that the best ones are ones that kind of like tap into like what we are really scared of like as people like i'm not i don't know about you i'm not necessarily scared of aliens maybe after the events of this past week maybe i should be but um, with all the stuff that we're shooting down, <laughs> but um, but, you know, there is there is a, these these young characters in this certainly like have a lot of other things to worry about other than just aliens, don't they? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that works so well in the film that they show um, this group of children having attention with this non-indigenous police officer on the reservation. Right. Obviously, that is such a real and present fear for a lot of people. And because of the jurisdictional complexities that are on so many reservations, there can be this really like um, difficult relationship that occurs with state police that maybe are on reservation land. Um, and so I think setting that up in the beginning and then having that character later become someone who's embodied by this alien was like I... incredibly potent and probably a little... Um, gave a sense of fulfillment at the end for people who have that like actual struggle. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, I, you know, and I, I was, I was struggling a little bit too, cause I don't know much about how all that jurisdictional stuff works. Uh, and certainly I don't know how that works in Canada. Uh, what, what exactly the authority is of an outside law enforcement agency. Um, I, I certainly know that, you know, federal agencies in the United States have that ability to deal with them. Um, you know, tribal areas, but I'm not, I wasn't really sure like how that worked in the, in this country on like, if you're a sheriff's department, I mean, do you have any, do you have any background knowledge on that? Uh, you know, I can't say as much for Canada. Um, right. And then I will say it within the U S is, um, well, just this complex jurisdictional puzzle that really depends on who is committing the crime. Are they indigenous or non-indigenous and who is, the person that's having the crime committed against them. It becomes oh. incredibly dependent. And that's why oftentimes so many issues on reservation are so hard to resolve, like the missing and murdered indigenous women crisis. Because right. who has the authority to um, step in and do something is very dependent. Yeah, I, I mean, it is. I mean, that that can just, I mean, there's so much that goes on with law enforcement that, um, and and then there's also the issues of the differences in culture, the differences in trust and prejudice and everything that can make that even more complicated. Um, it's challenging. And it's it's interesting to see it portrayed in a in a horror film. Um, because I think it's easy to kind of make a drama about this sort of story and you know, highlight the uh necessary tension of it. 
but it's it, it to me it adds a different dynamic when you kind of put in a genre like this yeah there's a real subtlety to it in the movie without it becoming like um just the overwhelming element that it's still um touching on these problems that like exist on reservations without that being the entire context of the story yeah i mean in the whole subtext i don't even know if it's subtext it might even be text at some points that you know like what they're what they're having to deal with is this completely foreign alien literal and figurative (laughs) source of violence and um you know kind of taking them over I have to sense that there's something more going on with that symbolism, don't you, Sam? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think they do a really great job in the story of building up um, the main character kind of rebelling against um, the traditions in her village and like um, really not maybe wanting to identify with that part of herself, that it creates this dichotomy between like, um, traditional worldview and then like modernistic and then having to maybe come back to that a little bit using these traditional values to fight off this alien force um, to me represents that we can exist on this spectrum between like being completely embedded in our culture and versus being modernistic like it doesn't have to be this black and white dichotomy and to me I felt like that theme really came through yeah. And, and to, you know, same way, like any, like with any kind of like contained or kind of traditional culture, like having to deal with modern devices, like being, having access to the modern world. I mean, it is, it is, I mean, it must be harder for, for younger people who live in those areas because there is a desire to stay true to oneself, but then to figure out like what more is there to you than just how you're defined by where you live. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think putting that in like the scope of maybe adolescence, um, that's such an, that's such a thing you're figuring out during that time um, where you fit in with your culture versus how much you want to be maybe in the modern world, like away from that. Um, I think it just really worked well in the storytelling. Yeah. And gosh, you know, I don't really like, I guess it didn't even like occur to me until just talking about it now, but like how they fend off these creatures, these aliens is using like, they don't get modern weapons. <laughs> they do have to rely a little bit on what they have available to them, which then ends up resembling, you know, what is considered more traditional, like as far as like, well, this is how we, this is how we uh, kind of work with the land. This is how we you know, hunt for our food. This is how we have survived for all this time. And this is now what they have to rely on because they're kids and they don't just get like an arsenal of machine guns or anything like that. Yeah. And maybe this is kind of a subtle note, but uh, it seems like towards the initial fighting of these creatures, they are using maybe a little more modern tech, like they have guns and um, Mm. try to use the four-wheeler at one point to lower the creatures these things slowly start to fail and they have to rely more and more on like the traditional spears and like knives and that sort of thing. Yeah, it it is. It is interesting. And sometimes, yeah, like you're, you're, yeah, that is right. They, they do have that. They kind of have some access to modern uh, accoutrements, but that doesn't necessarily work. And so then they have to go back to, yeah, what's tried and true almost. 
Um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things going on um, in this movie, uh, which makes it a little more interesting than just a typical horror film. I mean, you know, to, to the extent of like what you know about, you know, kind of uh, indigenous culture. I mean, like, what did you think from an academic perspective was worthwhile about this movie outside of what we've already talked about? Um, so I think something that like comes up a lot is this idea of, um, from a legal perspective, protecting indigenous worldview, allowing things like creation stories, like um, stories about tricksters and different like um, conceptions of how the world worked to exist and needing legal protection for people to have that. So the protection for reservations to have their own laws and like um, ways to manage the land based on these traditional narratives. I think this story um, mentions, or excuse me, this movie at different points mentions like traditional storytelling. Like there's a lot of fear that maybe the alien that shows up is um, like a monster from their legends. Mm, I think right. to me, what really stood out is like allowing stories to exist in the present day was kind of an um, underarching theme. Yeah. And do you find that you find there was anything different about the approach of this filmmaker and this story being Canadian versus what you're what you've read and what you know about, uh, you know, what we see here in the States with tribal lands? Was there anything distinctive about that to you? Um, you know, not particularly. And maybe I'm coming at this from a different perspective because I just got back from being in New Zealand for a while. Yeah, you were in New Zealand, which is I we have not got to talk about. But I mean, were you studying this over there as well? Yeah, I was also working, um, looking at some uh, natural resource policy and speaking to indigenous people over there. Um, that I sort of started to see the themes of settler colonialism are really um, transnational. They kind of exist everywhere. And so this feeling of needing to protect uh, traditional stories, um, to have like agency over lands is kind of communal. Um, so maybe I was looking for more, more places <laughs> where it was similar than different. <laughs> yeah. But there was also a universe, universality to, uh, to every experience. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, like the more, th I mean, you know, you can like be up at the Arctic Circle or you can be in eastern Oklahoma or you can be in New Zealand and there and you still see the same struggles. You still see the same challenges. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, now I'm just really curious to, to know more about how New Zealand has uh, <laughs> has 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 dealt with this historically, if they've had the same if they've had the same problems that we've seen in, in the States, I, I certainly know you hear a lot about what has happened in like, say Australia, mm -hmm. but how that government has, has dealt with its native people, which is not, not oh. a very good, not a very good track record either. <laughs> it's completely tragic. There. Yeah. I, um, I was just thinking about, there's a movie 20 years ago called rabbit proof fences. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but um yeah. It's a stunning look at how the colonial government dealt with the Aborigines. And um, gosh, that's a movie you probably might appreciate um, just because it, it is. It's I mean, yeah, it's a horrible it's a horrible story. But that one is 
illuminates it a lot. Um, but yeah, and I mean, so to the extent, yeah, that this movie, I mean, so, you know, you, you did this in front of an audience, you had this presentation in front of the audience. I mean, what, what, I mean, when you kind of, you know, kind of, if you were to think like, if there's a takeaway from, you know, what, if somebody goes and watches this online, um, unfortunately they probably won't. I, I don't even know how much of a theatrical release this movie got. Uh, I, I don't, I can't tell that it got much of one, um, which is often the case with low budget movies. Um, but you know, you got a chance to see this in a movie theater. And so people are not going to be able to watch this with an audience. They're not going to necessarily get to watch this with a crowd. So, I mean, like you think about it, like, there's anything that people should be armed with or think about watching it. What, what would you want to tell people they should be looking for? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I mean, I think there are like, kind of like we covered a lot of things you can take away about just the experience of being on a reservation, like maybe some of the isolated feelings, the tensions that might exist with like um, federal or state control trying to be expressed there. Um, I think that can be really potent for people to take away. I would say the big message I got from this is um, kind of a common theme, which is that like we have the space to allow multiple worldviews to exist and those things deserve to be protected. The world just becomes more fascinating and more complete if we allow for different kinds of stories like this, an indigenous story to have a place, to have an audience. Um, so yeah, I would just say like uh, recognizing um, that people have all these different worldviews and they can make for something really interesting and special and have their place in the present. They're not just things of the past. Right. Right. So it's, yeah. And so, and there's also, I mean, like to me, I think it's always important to know that no matter where you live or what you do, there are, you know, struggling with your feelings about adolescence, about where you're from and, and, and where you might be going and how, you know, everything as a teenage girl can feel like an alien invasion. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone's out to get you i always that was always like kind of my joke about the um about the hunger games was like yeah of course these books and movies are popular with teenage girls who think the world is going to end uh because that's how you feel as a teenager that's how you feel like you know, something bad happens you're like this is the worst thing that's ever happened and because it might as well you might as well just be pitted against other people and like trying to kill them <laughs> Because that's how adolescence feels sometimes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and so, you know, whether or not you are at the Arctic Circle or you're like in some small podunk town in Missouri, like where I was from, uh, <laughs> you you kind of have this. There is kind of an interesting, like when you think about like, oh, all the adults are out to kill me. All the adults must be from another planet um i how am i gonna survive this uh gosh that sounds like stuff that you you internalize a lot as a kid sure and i <laughs> i guess that's an element we haven't really talked about is this is like a feminist dystopia film um there's yeah. a lot of like female empowerment happening here a lot of um yeah taking on those feelings like the world is ending <laughs> Yeah, well, that yeah, that is something we didn't talk about because the majority of the characters who are like the kind of, I guess, heroines of the piece, heroes of the piece, are young women. 
there's a few there's a few young guys that show up but they're like kind of there to help (laughs) they're they're not really like the the main focus of the film and so that's another thing that's unique about the movie is that you also have a focus on a group of young women um which you also don't see much in horror movies usually have one woman and she's the one who survives (laughs) the last girl as they call them but here we have several last girls i guess yeah and i mean i feel like um in that last girl trope, usually the character has to cast off elements of femininity to be able to survive. And like, they kind of hold up maybe these tough, rigid, unfeeling masculine characters in some of these movies. And in this, I loved seeing like, in between fighting the monsters, the girls are talking about who has a crush on who, and they, <laughs> they retain their femininity throughout the film in a really fun, like adolescent way. And I just, I loved that. They got so many laughs in the theater. <laughs> Oh, I bet. That's a very, that's a, that's a good, that's a darn good observation about the last girl trope, isn't it? They do have to like, kind of say like, well, I'm going to be tough like a man or whatever, like a, what our concept of masculinity is. Um, but you don't see that here in this movie, uh, which is also pretty refreshing. Yeah. And I think it's great too. We see um, one of the characters is like tasked with you know, taking care of the younger children, and she still has a very important role in the film. Like, um, we get to see other ways of confronting conflict that aren't just the, like, being tough and rigid. Like, they all kind of work together and have um, a balance of feminine and masculine attributes that really work to take on this entity. Yeah, well, it's a kind of like any film where you have like kind of a team there. There's like different, like each character kind of represents like a different thing they've got to bring to it to kind of be a unified character almost. Um, it's kind of like, you know, what you see with the Wizard of Oz, right? Like all those people that she meets along the way are kind of representative of things that she's got to develop in order to like see through to her journey's end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And that's kind of what, you know, that's kind of what all these characters do in in this movie as well, Um, to a degree, to a degree. You know, you can't do too, I mean, this is a, this is like a kind of a quick, it's like an hour and a half movie. It's like traditional and like a a horror film way about that. Uh, But there is like a lot of, it is very unique. It is very different. And I, 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 for one thought that was, um, I enjoyed that part of it. Um. So I hope maybe people will like maybe the five people that listen to this podcast will go find that movie. I hope. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. And like you said, it is a fairly short watch. I think it's a a really good one, a really fun one, and something that for a like kind of low budget horror movie sticks with you. I've thought about this film quite a bit in the time since I've watched it and really have recommended it to others. I hope people find it. <laughs> Yeah, I think, and I think, you know, if you do have like access to streaming services, it is relatively easy to find. I rented it on uh, on Apple Movies. Um, it's on there. It's on Amazon. It's, uh, if you do have the uh, subscription to Shutter, which you will get with IFC films, you can watch it on there. And uh, that actually is a really good place to watch horror movies in general if you're in that, into that sort of thing. You like horror movies? You do, don't you? We've talked about this before, I think. Yeah, I do. I'm a little bit of a baby, but I love them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen anything lately other than this that you've liked? Horror movie-wise? Oh, I think the last um, one that really stuck with me was X, 
Um, oh yeah. That's that a good a one. one. <laughs> and filmed in New Zealand. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Pearl and X were both like, well, like, they kind of filmed those back to back because they're about the same character. Mm. Uh, well about the Pearl character, but they, yeah, Ty West filmed that in, um, New Zealand because they well it was filmed during COVID right and so New Zealand had these kind of they'd really kind of done a good job of locking that country down and so it was easy to film something cheap there um so yeah that's a good that, that is a that's another good movie that I, th I certainly think like kind of has an interesting take on sexuality and horror because most horror films look at like sexuality as like what is punishment like you know like all the horny teenagers always get killed and this one like the bad guy is like kind of just envious of of young love and young lust which is interesting right yeah it's a real flip on that narrative that's existed forever in horror movies and it's kind of surprising it's taken that long for somebody to to see that um, <laughs> that was what was so stunning about it to me was i was like i'm so used to seeing like 70 horror movies where like the jason or might as well be like jerry falwell <laughs> i think it's a more like there's a moral punishment to everything and this is the first time i was like oh this is not quite that at all <laughs> um, well, yeah, to New Zealand, i'm gonna have to look for that set now <laughs> yeah yeah right uh, well you also need to watch pearl too like the prequel yes um, which I think you can also rent. So that's my other recommendation. Yeah, go watch Slashback, go watch X, go watch Pearl. And then there's actually a third film from those, uh, Maxine, uh, Mia Goth, the character in um, X, who I guess is the last girl in that movie. Mm -hmm. She, it's, There's a movie about her going off to Hollywood after the events of that, and that's coming out this year. So captivating. Um, an actress who I hadn't heard of before and just really like wowed me in those films. Yeah, she was, she's been in, uh, she was, I know she was in um, The Cure for Wellness and this movie called Stoker. I, I think her, her, she's always been better than some of those movies were. Uh, but this, this is kind of the first time I think the films kind of rise, ro rose to her talent level. So yeah, she's good. I think she'll be a movie star for sure. I hope <laughs> if there is such a thing anymore. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and hopefully we see these young girls and and slashback again too. But yes, so talented. I would love to see them in something else. Yeah, I got the sense from my research that this was like a very local talent search for those kids. They they did not seem like trained performers when you watch it. Um, they seemed there was a naturalism to their acting that sometimes I think some people mistake for being amateurish, which I mean it just means that they're just not actors in the traditional yeah. sense and i mean um, i think the directing really compensated well like with child actors yeah. i feel like it's always a little iffy um whether yeah. they can carry some of the dialogue and this i feel like the directing really um aided in making their performance seem natural seem like compelling yeah it did it did it, it it's a it's a it's a well done movie um so go check it out. Well, Sam, since I've had you on here way too long, I know you've got a lot of other things to go do. Anything else you want to pitch? I mean, you've already done this talk, so you can't pitch it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, just check out my work. Um, my name 
in publishing is Sam J. Carter. If you're interested in issues of indigenous natural resource rights, I have a few publications out there. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm at the University of Missouri. So please reach out. I'm so happy to have more conversations about indigenous issues or movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we want to get another opportunity to do that. So uh, thanks, Sam. And uh, thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this either on Apple or on Spotify. If you like what you hear, uh, leave a review and share it on your social media posts for Film Snobs. This is James Owen. Until we talk next time, take care of yourselves and each other.